You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Come on, guys. Y'all got to be better than that, for real. It's for your own sake that you do better than that, I promise. If you're a mom, would you stand up in the room? Let's do it that way. Yeah, look at them. Yeah, let's pray for the moms in the room. Just stay standing. If you're next to a mom, just lay hands on a mom next to you. Father, we thank you for the moms in our lives. We thank you that uh, they are for us like you are. There is not many people in the, in the world that are for us like a mom. And I thank you for the grace that you have placed upon them to love us in the ways that they do. Whether they're our moms or someone else's mom that loves us like we're theirs, we thank you for them. I thank you for the grace upon them uh, to mother uh, naturally and spiritually. I thank you that if a mom is in the room that feels like their natural mothering season is over, that you would send them spiritual sons and daughters. And I just declare that they can be trusted with your people. I thank you, Father, that you would do miraculous things for these moms. If a mom is praying for a, 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 a child to come home, Lord, I pray that that child hears the cry of a mom because it matches the cry of the father. Send them home, Lord. That wherever they are, they remember, they begin to remember the goodness of you in their parents and in their moms. That you would fill their homes, Lord, I declare that their homes would be filled for, for years to come with joy because of their kids and their grandkids. And we prophesy these things and we pray them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Kyle. Kyle, would you grab me up? I'm going to probably need that. <laughs> Thank you. Don't make fun of me. I'm not crying, you're crying. No, it's, uh, Mother's Day is a fantastic day. It's, uh, it's definitely not one to forget. <laughs> it's, I haven't done that, I promise. But I would just say it's probably not one to forget. It would be bad. Uh, I did one time, can I tell myself, I did one time, I don't know why I'm saying this. Oh, gosh. I did one time forget my wife's 30th birthday. I've never forgot another one. <laughs> there aren't many things on the, on the earth that I'm afraid of besides like a mama bear, like the animal and then the person. <laughs> There's like a nervous laugh in the room because you're like, I agree. <laughs> There's like this relentlessness in them to like protect offspring at no matter what the cost. If it's a real threat, if it's a perceived threat, it's like, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to get snacked on in one way or the other. I was uh, thinking about, it's so funny how your brain, I don't know if you are like me, but, and I've told you this before, but sometimes my brain just goes like, I can be on track and then I can be way off track. And I was thinking about mama bears and even on Mother's Day, and uh, I was listening to a podcast this joker got destroyed by a mama bear, and he wasn't doing nothing wrong. 
It's the craziest thing. So tread lightly, right, around some mama bears. Uh, this guy was uh, hiking on a trail in Wyoming, literally just had, had gone scouting for elk and deer and was literally just walking out. And all of a sudden, uh, he sees a bear cub, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is not a good situation. So he kind of watches, he stops, and all of a sudden, like, the cubs go, and the sow goes, the mama bear goes, and they, they run off. So he just keeps walking. And then here in a second, it was like she went and put her kids up. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, it's on, bro. And she comes, and she attacks him once, gets him really good, he fights her off in some way, yada, yada, she runs off. It was like she just went to make sure the kids were good again. And then he kept walking, and then she circled him, and she got him again. So beware of the mama bear, amen? That's good for us. I would, I would say this to uh, most of you um, in the room, moms specifically, but um, make sure that you keep your ferocity alive in prayer for your kids. I, I believe that um, God is always interested in restoring the family, and it would be a, a, a terrible thing for us to, to give up on God in that way, and so if you're believing for a miracle in your family, uh, continue to pray. Um, continue to pray for your kids. Continue to confess over your kids what the word says, not what the world says. Uh, confess over your kids what the word says, not what you feel or even what you see. Don't counsel your prayers with your confessions. And then pray like crazy against the enemy because God's hearing, amen? Uh, in, in light of thinking about Mother's Day, I, I just begin to think like, do we realize how, how relentless God's love for us is? Like when we think about it, like, do we realize how much he really, really loves us? Do we realize how good the things are that God has for us? I know we throw this kind of language around like, oh, God is good. Do we believe he, he's that good? It's like, oh, he's, he's good, but I'm not sure. No, he is, he is that good. Do we realize that what he has for us is the best? because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's extravagant. Because of the things offered to us by Jesus on the cross, they are extravagant. We should want and desire and make our confession sound like we believe that he is extravagant. Say it with me, God, you're extravagant. Now say it like you mean it. God, you're extravagant. I confess over myself right now that I have the things that you say I can have because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross for me. You're good, and you're good all the time. Whether I see it, whether I feel it, I confess it. I have the things you say I can have, and I am who you say I am. Feels good, huh? Amen? Come on, God is good. Uh, let's, let's dive into uh, a short second of prayer because I'm going to probably need some help. Um, and it's always good to pray. And then we'll read some scriptures. Jesus, I thank you for our time. Always do. Such an honor and a privilege to uh, get to share the word 
um, and to do it with people uh, that are like-minded. I pray that as we dive into your, to the scriptures, God, that you would come alive to us, uh, that we would see more of your goodness, we would see more of your character, we would see more of your nature. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. God, we're just overwhelmed by how much you really do love us. That you would, you would send the best and the only son, Jesus, that you had so that one day we might be able to gather in a room like this. God, it's such a big deal. You're such a big deal to us. We love you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good stuff. Told you I was gonna need that. Um, Luke chapter 15, let's, let's go there. Uh, Luke chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read 20 through 24, so it's a little bit of scripture, but it's good for us. Uh, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Aren't you glad that Jesus associates with sinful people? Like us, like we? Uh, and he's even eating with them. So Jesus told them the story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and turns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or propose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. I want you to insert yourself into the rest of this. Verse 11, to, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. What a jerk, sorry. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this young son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, was, and there he wasted all his money and wild living. About, that, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. 
I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father's house. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, his father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is found, so the party began. Beautiful, beautiful story. As we read this, one thing becomes extremely uh, clear to me. Jesus is talking about repentance. Repentance is something that we all know as Christians to be a major part of following Jesus. But I would ask this, do you know what repentance is? Because it's something that we actually have to understand. What is repentance? Is it just saying that you're sorry? Is repentance just feeling bad about the things that you've done, feeling bad about who you've become? Is it promising to never do that thing again? Because I've done all of those things. No, repentance is actually none of those things. It, repentance is a Greek word, a promise. I'm not going to pronounce it because we butcher that one. Um, but it means to reconsider. It means to, to change your mind or to change what you believe. We just read this, but in verse 7 of Luke 15, it says, in the same way, there is more joy over one lost sinner who repents and returns. Remember, we're talking about the love of God, right? You're like, why would you talk about repentance on Mother's Day? And the mom's like, oh yeah, some people could repent to me, come on. I've been waiting for some repentance. Guys, I'm just teeing it up for you. I'm just literally just placing it on a tee. It's oversized ball. All you have to do is swing, hit it off the tee. It's gonna be fantastic. The day is gonna go great for you. Um, repentance is a good thing. It is to reconsider your actions, men. <laughs> to change your mind. We're talking about. We're talking about scripture. Sorry. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns. Another scripture, Acts chapter three, verse nineteen. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a beautiful promise. That when I repent, when I turn to God, my sins are wiped out. That's fantastic. And that times of refreshing are going to come to me. I love this. Repentance is the change of mind that comes before change in behavior. You ever, you ever, since we're just talking about men repenting, you ever done something that didn't go the way that you thought it was gonna go? 
And then instead of using your words, you just decided you were going to do a bunch of work to prove that you were sorry. But that didn't work. Because they're waiting for those words. You're right. I'm sorry. They're waiting for your heart to actually repent. Uh, Repentance is the change of mind, and it comes before you change your behavior. And to Jesus, repentance is it's a big deal. It's the only time in scripture that Jesus uses three stories to prove one point. It's the only time that he talks uh, three different ways about one principle. Even if you go into the start of Jesus's ministry, the very, very first thing that Jesus taught after he's prepared for ministry for 30 years, after being baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted. We know these stories. He comes out, it says, in the power of God. He begins to preach this way. Matthew chapter four, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Meaning that without repentance, I don't get to have the invitation into the kingdom of God that is more near today than it was yesterday. This is good news. I promise. Repent was the first word of Jesus' message. Repent was the thing that Jesus talked about. Have a change in your mind. Not change your behavior. Not stop smoking cigarettes first. Not stop eating too much. He didn't say first, stop, stop drinking so much. Stop cheating. Start going to church. He didn't say any of those things. He literally just said, repent, change your heart and the way that you believe about me. It was his first thing. Is that because none of the things that I listed, smoking, uh, all the things don't matter to Jesus? Of course they matter to Jesus, but they're not the main thing. They do matter. But what Jesus is establishing in this moment is a spiritual principle. All change in behavior comes from a change in your belief system. Your belief determines the direction of your life. Because the way that you believe attracts everything that you need for life. You've maybe heard it said this way. The thought that you have when you think about God is the most important thought that you can have because it is the starting place for everything you will believe about him, about you, and about the world around you. Your first thought when you think of God is the most important thought. If your first thought about God is he's displeased with me, you will begin to work yourself into a frenzy of performance. And when you don't perform, you will be crushed over and over and over and over again. But when I believe that he is good, what I'm saying is I believe that Jesus actually was the greatest performer of all time. And he was the truest as well. When I, when I choose to believe that God is good, I'm choosing to believe in everything that Jesus actually did for me. 
that even when I miss the mark, we've talked about this, even when I do sin, it doesn't change the fact that the Father loves me. That challenges us. That challenges us. Is he pleased with sin? No, not at all. He hates sin, but he loves you. It offended the religious people because even if you remember what we started reading, they were frustrated that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. They didn't like the fact that he even talked to them because they hadn't done enough to become worthy of the presence of Jesus or the conversation or connection that Jesus offered. And all this was is just a, a, a glimpse into what Jesus was about to offer all kinds of sinners. If you'll just choose to repent and put your, your expectation upon me, I will be all things to you. Jesus is the best. As it pertains to our story, what was exactly the turning point for the lost son? If you read in verse 17, it says this, when he finally came to his senses, you ever had one of those moments? He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. What's happening here? The son is starting to reconsider what he had. He's like, I know what I asked for. I needed to speed things up. I, I wanted more freedom. I wanted more riches. I wanted the things. I wanted all the stuff. So the father gave him the stuff. I love that the father did this and the father's position for the son never changed. I would imagine that the father in his wisdom probably knew his son well. And through relationship, I would imagine that the father probably knew his son's tendencies pretty good. Yet he said, you know what, I'm gonna fulfill your desire. I'll give you the things. And then I'm gonna be waiting when the things that you think can satisfy don't satisfy you. I'll just be waiting. I don't think it was a coincidence that the father happened to be standing on the porch that day at that time and that moment and saw the son from a long ways off. It doesn't matter if you've literally said the same kind of thing. You are good, however, there's something better over here and I just need to see what it's like. And if you're still in that place, I believe that the father well, let me rephrase that. I know that the Father is still standing, waiting for you to walk over the horizon. Because in his house, there are riches forevermore. The son begins to reconsider what he, what he had. He, he begins to see things differently all of a sudden. He, he starts to change what he believed. And the first thing about the son in the story that he realizes is this. My dad was good. My dad was so good. Not just kind of good, but actually really, really good. Even, even the hired servants. He's so good that they even had more than enough to spare. He begins to remember the goodness of his father. 
And the son begins to think of the father and, and how good he, he, he is and it starts to change what he believed about his situation. The son is actually in this place of repentance. This is the starting place. True repentance only comes from an awareness of how good God actually really is. That I'm settling for a lesser reality. And the moment that I begin to remember that there is a higher, more truthful, that has stood the test of time reality, that God is good and he's good all the time, it's at that point that I realize I'm settling for something that is less than what he actually provided for me on the cross to have. And then I begin to let my mind begin to become renewed on his goodness and my heart starts moving towards him in a way that it hasn't in a long time and that's exactly what's happening to this son. True repentance only comes from the awareness of the goodness of the Father. It doesn't come through guilt. True repentance doesn't come through shame True repentance, it doesn't come through legalism. It doesn't come through a fear-based way of teaching. True repentance doesn't come from manipulating you into repentance. None of those things change the way that you think. None of those produce a change in your heart. There's that scripture that, and Somebody's more biblically sound than me. (laughs) That's comforting, right, from your pastor. Um, Kyle is probably the elite in the room. Um, There's that one, he's like, there's there's gonna be a time when all these people say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name and worked miracles in your name and done all these fantastic things in your name? You say, "I'm I'm gonna have to say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. There's that other spot where he talks about how these people, they're, they're, they praise him with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. And I would say this, I would venture to say that if your repentance has come through being guilted into repenting, you're only praising with your lips. None of those produce a change in your heart. Romans chapter two, verse four, it says this, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What leads you to repentance? The goodness of God, what he has done for you, it leads you into a place of repentance. This is not a, a changing of behavior first and then your heart changes. Think about the thief on the cross for a moment. We remember the story where Jesus literally centered on the cross being crucified between two thieves. And the one thief on whichever side it was, probably the left side, I would imagine, he begins to mock Jesus. Oh, if you're the son of God, then, then, then save yourself and save us too. And as he's mocking God, the one on the right, I would imagine, it's the right because it's always blessing. It could be way off. However, he begins to say, we're, we're actually do the punishment because of our sins. This man has done nothing wrong. His heart begins to move towards Jesus. He didn't say, time out, Jesus. Hold on, stop for a second. 
Like, can you time the suffering out? I gotta go fix my behavior real fast. Oh, let me go stop stealing real quick. Just let me get a few days under my belt where I hadn't stolen anything. Let me get some time under my belt where I haven't smoked or told a lie. And then he's like, all right, let me, let me re- reassume my position up here. T- time in. Now, Jesus, you can tell me, because of all the things that I've done, that on this day I'll be with you in paradise. That didn't happen. But his heart began to move towards Jesus in this one moment on the cross as he began to see the goodness of who Jesus actually really, really was. And then Jesus declared to him, today, I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. This is all about shifting your heart to Jesus. It was the goodness of the Father that produced repentance and repentance that produced the change of direction in this son's life. As a pastor, my job is to preach goodness to you. The average person says 65, has 65,000 thoughts a day. 85% of those thoughts are negative. 91% of those negative thoughts are reoccurring thoughts. It's my job to preach goodness to you. Because <laughs> we need it. You should be infused with joy when listening to preaching. It's not my job to change the direction of your life, even though that might happen. It's not my job to try to scare you into or shame you into some sort of change. Not my job to try to manipulate or control your behavior or teach you behavior modifications. My job is simply to show you Jesus. To just become a little bit different. There was a moment in my life where a man said, if you'll go with me to this conference where this guy flows in miracles, signs, and wonders, if I can just get you in front of Jesus, I know for sure your life will be changed forever. That's my job this morning. I, my hope is that what I'm doing is taking you and putting you right in front of Jesus. And that you see his goodness in such a way that it causes your heart to full-blown repent. Let's close here. The son returns home. He returns home armed with his speech. He's got everything written the way that he's going to say it. He's probably rehearsed it a thousand times. He's probably figured out all the things that he's going to say and if the father says this, I'm going to say this and, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make sure that he knows that I'm really, 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 really sorry. Luke 15, verse 20. Before he can get his speech out. It says, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. God's love is not contingent on your ability to repent. He never moved off of love for his son. His love never stopped. His love never failed. It never ended. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Look at this. 
love keeps no record of being wronged. Oh, my, my love needs some work. Probably the only one in the room. Verse six, <laughs> moving right along. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love, it never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every single circumstance. Your sin does not influence God's love in your life. Do you believe that? You can imagine that at some point in the story, the son began to think like, well, something's really, really wrong. Like my father must have fell and bumped his head because I spent all of his money on wild living. I, I left his home. I took what he worked for that cost me nothing. And I wasted it. And for some reason, he's, he, he, he's running to me. He's, he's hugging me. He's kissing me. What is going on with my father? The father interrupts. He interrupts the father. He says, no, 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 father, stop. You shouldn't be happy to see me. You should actually, you should actually be mad. I, I've messed up. I literally wasted it all. And I'm ready to actually just be like one of your hired servants so that I can pay for my sins. So often we approach the Father this way. Jesus, I, I know what you offered me and, and I took that and then I, I, I ran over here and I, I literally wasted all of it. And so I'm going to come crawling back like, like a whooped puppy dog hoping that I just have entrance to work the grounds in the kingdom. Will you please just reconsider me just for a time? As the son interrupts the father, the father, actually, he interrupts the son, but he doesn't even say anything to the son. I love this. Verse 22 through 24, but the father said to the servants, he didn't even talk to the son. He just, he just embraces him and he kisses him. He's like, to the servants, he says, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party begun. The father interrupted the confession of sin with blessing. This goes way against our thinking. Where you've been, son, it's not important. Who you've been with, daughter, oh, no, no, that's not important. Oh, you wasted it all? No, not important. I don't care. The father's literally saying in this moment, I don't care about where you've been and what you did. I only care that you're right here with me in your home. I would say that to you if you interjected yourself into the story. The Father doesn't care about where you've been or what you were doing. If your heart is moving towards Him, He only considers that you're home.
went to a, a, an inner, he, inner healing uh, workshop, if you will, at Gateway Church once, and, and the lady that was, that was teaching it, she was the head of their inner healing ministry at the time. Powerful lady. She shared the story. They had adopted a son, and at the age of 18, he came, and they, they had adopted him at a young age. At the age of 18, he had come to them and said, uh, I just wanted you to know that I'm coming out of the closet as a homosexual. She's like, okay. In her, th- in her mind, she's like, kind of challenging for inner healing pastor to have a homosexual son. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. She said, what did we do? She said, oh, it's real simple. We just made it extremely easy for him to come home. We just made it so easy that at the end of every single day, he would walk right back into our doors. Because the one thing that I knew about what was going on in our house was that we were going to continue to love him and tell the truth. And it would be terrible for me to ever have said something that would push him away from a place where the truth was going to remain the same and continue to get shared. In love. I love this about the Father's heart too. All that matters in those moments are that you're back, that you're home. Because once again, love keeps no record of being wronged. When we come back to God, He treats us as if we never left. There's no probation period with God. There's no sleeping on the couch when you come back to the Father. There's no doghouse. There's no tiptoeing around, not sure if you've actually been forgiven, like sometimes happens in our homes or maybe even the home that you grew up in. Where you're not quite sure how you are really, really being received. I hear what you're saying, but, no, 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 there's no but in this moment. There's no start here, and then we'll see what happens. No. 100% restoration. 100% restoration. My question would be this morning, who needs to come home? Who needs to come home? Who needs to come home in a way where your heart is reminded of his goodness? So much so, that you get distracted by his goodness and you step right back into his love. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.